This week's podcast is proudly brought to you by Ducks Unlimited. For 85 years, DU has worked to restore, enhance, and protect wetlands to the benefit of wildlife and people. It's a daunting challenge and one our supporters take very seriously because to them, nothing is more important than the outdoors we all cherish. And it all starts in our local chapter events. To find an event near you or to join our volunteer team, go to www.ducks.org. DU, a proud sponsor of the Lone Star Outdoors show and sportsmen everywhere. Howdy, everybody. This week's podcast also brought to you by Spartan Forge. Born in war, Spartan Forge was conceived while targeting terrorists. Think about that. Targeting bad guys during deployments in support of the global war on terror. We can also use this technology because of its similarities to track mature bucks. Now it's time to get this analysis into your hands. It's military-based intelligence, next-generation mapping. I absolutely love it. And I love the people behind Spartan Forge. They're like me. Second Amendment till the day we die. No exceptions. America first. Spartan Forge. Check it out by downloading the app today. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Cable Smith welcoming each and every one of you into episode 629 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. It is a pleasure, a treat, an honor to be here talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. So thanks for dropping by today. And whatever you're getting into uh, this spring, whether you're spending more time fishing, maybe you just wrapped up a uh, black bear hunt somewhere out west, or if you're vaccinated, uh, maybe you went to Canada. I don't know. They won't let me in, but that's cool. Maybe someday. Uh, but hey, their uh, prime minister did decide to try to ban the sale of handguns this week. So I don't know. Canada, I feel bad for all the Canadians up there because it's such a wonderful and friendly people. But my goodness, they have royally screwed up with who they've put in power. And it's not going well for them. So, and, you know, I think it's a message for us uh, south of the border here. Hey, there's a reason why the red, white, and blue is the greatest country in the world. And that's because of the Second Amendment. (laughs) There's really, uh, I mean, think about it. What separates us from the rest of the world? Well, there's one thing, and it's that. Uh, So, Connect the dots, folks. It's uh, very easy to do. If you like your freedoms, then be sure you vote accordingly. Um, what are we doing today? Well, let me tell you. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old Stanley Thermos because we are ready to rock and roll, and you're in for a treat. Today is the Aloha edition of the Lone Star Outdoors show, all things hunting Hawaii, specifically Maui coming at you as they have a, uh, a very unique 
and rich hunting tradition. Um, one that I experienced last week. Oh, so cool. From chasing axis deer in the mountains to ocean kayak fishing for uh, pelagic species and even running hog dogs through the dense island jungle. I mean, whew, sportsman's paradise to say the least. And my friend who invited me to Maui, uh, Kamanu Gomes, will be here for uh, the majority of today's presentation. So much to get into uh, and a place that I can't wait to get back to. Sadly for my wife, uh, when I told her, hey, um, I'm thinking about going axis deer hunting for three or four days. Are you interested? And Aaron said, no. I said, okay. And then I just booked my trip to Maui. I think I forgot to mention to her that that's where it was. <laughs> uh, so I ended up going by myself. Work trip. I know it's a thankless job, but uh, yes, I have to do it. And but hey, maybe next time uh, she won't be so quick to say, no, I don't want to go axis deer hunting. Uh, but I will definitely go back to Maui, and you should put it on your bucket list for sure. That's what's on the docket for today. Going to be a good one. I guarantee you that. Uh, let's do a quick giveaway. How about a brand new Stealth Cam DS4K Ultra Trail Camera? I think retails for like almost $300. So a uh, pretty nice prize from our friends over at Stealth Cam. To enter to win, just email... Let's just say Maui. Uh, email Maui to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com and you are entered into today's Stealth Cam giveaway. We're going to take a break. Coming up next, we're going to head to the islands and do a little axis deer hunting with our good friend Kamanu Gomes on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Be there when the bullets fly. I'd run across the river just to hold you tonight. In the market for a compact track loader, check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at one of our nine North Texas locations. Visit BobcatOfNorthTexas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. If you're looking to remodel your home, add a deck or arbor to the back patio, redo your fence, or build your dream home from the ground up, look no further than ECR Construction Group. My longtime bow hunting buddy, Josh Brown, is someone you can trust to deliver honest work on time. ECR Construction Group also serves the North Texas area, specializing in roofing, barn dominium builds, painting, and carpentry. So for your next project, call the folks I trust. That's ECR Construction Group at 214-400-1444 or ecrcg.com There's a place where the boat leaves from it takes away a little your big problems you could worries you could drop them in the blue ocean but you gotta get away to where the boat leaves from take one part sand one part sea and one part shade of a nine-on tree And the drinks are cold and the reggae is hot And I know this is the place for me Get Little Zach Brown Band bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, the Aloha Edition. Um, why don't we go ahead and get to that place where the boat leaps from and uh, head back to Maui where I was last week. We taped this interview um, at Kamano's house there in, uh, in Maui. And so... 
we will uh, we'll get into that conversation. This segment, though, is brought to you by Stealth Cam and the DS4K Transmit. That's a 4K quality video or photo being sent to your cell phone from the DS4K Transmit. It's brand spanking new. Data plans as low as $5 a month. Check it out at StealthCam.com. With that being said, it is my pleasure to welcome my good friend, my new friend. Isn't that cool, though, how hunting immediately connects us? It's that that shared bond, regardless of where you live, um, other countries, other states. You become fast friends when you spend the better part of a week with someone doing those things in nature that's in our in our human DNA, uh, pursuing wild game or fishing, whatever it is. Uh, but yeah, proud to call him my friend. Kamanu Gomes, thanks for being here. Well, Kamanu, it's been a, a hell of a three days, man. <laughs> thanks for coming out. Yeah, it's been awesome. Uh, Maui has been uh, more than I could have ever imagined. Truly a sportsman's paradise you guys have here. It is. We got the full triple crown. Yeah. You got everything from your high mountain sheep, axis steer, boars, you name it. Yeah. And um, we're going to talk about our experience. But first of all, tell me a little bit about yourself as far as your background in hunting goes. I started hunting when I was about six years old. Just tagging along with my grandpa, I actually started bird hunting first. Took interest, my whole family did it. Um, moving on to like middle school, started getting into night hunting. It's uh-huh. actually when I shot my first axis deer, it was a spike at night. We used to eradicate on the pineapple plantation. My grandpa was a diesel mechanic, so we had the night permit. Hmm. And then it was more of a gun blazing hunting style when I was younger. Whip around on the Polaris and just shoot whatever moved. And as I got older, I started hunting with one of my uncles and he actually taught me how to be a better sportsman. Bought me a pair of binoculars, taught me how to judge animals, showed me how to skin animals, taught me about herd management, showed me how to train dogs. How to train dogs for bird hunting, boar hunting, and hmm. yeah. Is is being a true sportsman something that a lot of people on this island are interested in, or would you say the majority of them are just just want to shoot whatever? A lot of Hawaiians are meat hunters, so they they don't like to waste anything. So so you started eradicating at an early age. That made me think of back home with our feral hogs and people kind of sometimes, especially folks that are not from Texas, they don't understand that we have a problem with these things. And so, yes, we go out at night and we shoot them to eradicate them from a property. And we're never going to get rid of them, nor do I personally want to get rid of them. I love hunting them. But the night hunting with the thermal, um, helicopter, hog gunning, these aren't real, these aren't hunting in the truest sense. You know, this isn't what you would call an ethical fair chase hunt. Shooting something with a spotlight or shooting something with a, a thermal scope at night clearly gives you an advantage. Um, so you guys kind of have the same situation here with with axis deer that are invasive. And you've, you've told me numerous times like they're affecting the browse and even more importantly can have a detrimental effect on the watershed. Yeah, it's definitely not hunting when you're eradicating. And 
people have a hard time understanding that because you know especially hawaiians they they're meat hunters they like to hunt for meat and when you're shooting all these animals and eradicating you know you have guys come up to you and get angry because you're just wasting all that meat but what they don't understand is that the impact that they have on the land when there's too much numbers the overgrazing can actually turn everything to dirt and not having that vegetation to pool the rain over you know it actually just keeps receding keeps receding and eventually get into this drought phase and if you look at Molokai last year it was actually so dry so overgrazed that the deer were dropping dead by the hundreds in people's yards like that's how bad it got and Maui's next and if we don't control that now it's it's going to be real bad yeah and it, well and these are an invasive species this this island all of the Hawaiian islands were void of any kind of hooved animals like they're not native to here so whether it's a feral goat an axis deer a black hawaiian sheep um you guys have some i saw you have mouflon and on some of the other islands they're not native here and so hawaii wasn't really set up for originally uh these ungulates to be here in the first place yeah they definitely have an impact on the native plant species and damaging the rainforest. Technically, if you think about it, the only native species would be plants and birds, mm-hmm. which is, I guess, the heart and soul of Hawaii before man came. Yeah. Um, you got, you have a bird here. You were telling me a funny story from your childhood or maybe even high school. It's called a, a mina. Is that what it's called? Minor bird. Minor bird. Yeah. It looks kind of like our robins back home, but just maybe a little bigger and a little more colorful. But you said, and it, you know, you never did this, but people back in the day would cut their tongues a certain way, and then these birds would talk like parrots or or uh, cockatoos or something. Yeah, their their tongues are. I've been told this. Mm-hmm. Never tested the theory myself. And I actually seen the talking bird. <laughs> but I've never been the one to cut the tongue. But apparently their tongues are pointed. And if you round it off like a human tongue, you can actually train the bird to speak English. <laughs> and they do. Huh. Um, my friend in high school, he actually had a minor bird that every time you walk up, it said, Sup, brother? <laughs> Well, at least he wasn't teaching it cuss words. Yeah. That was a different bird, I guess. <laughs> yeah, actually. Um, yeah, I've been amazed with the, the bird life here. It's been beautiful. One thing, though, why and why I think the birds thrive still is there's no snakes here, which when we were hunting, I was like, do I need to be looking out for snakes? She's like, no, there's no snakes on this island. It's definitely a luxury of hunting in Hawaii is not having to worry about snakes when you're stomping through the bushes it made growing up here a little more fun as a kid Mm -hmm. but there definitely are snakes from time to time you'll see it on the news people finding them people bringing them in as like Like released pets pets or something yeah yeah letting them go yeah maui reminds me a lot of texas and the fact that these axis deer were introduced here in 1959 i think in texas it was about 1932 um, there's a different island, which you mentioned earlier, Molokai, and some, I forget what foreign power 
brought these axis deer to, uh, it was a king in the 1850s, and they brought the axis deer to Molokai then. And then, what, they're also on Lanai? That's the other island the axis are on? Yeah, Lanai. Oh. Lanai is actually the state hunt for axis deer. Uh, it's actually the only island where you have to put in for tags to hunt axis deer. Huh. Uh, it's because most of it is public hunting. Molokai and Maui is almost all private land hunting for axis deer. Yeah. So they don't distribute any tags. To put Maui like in a size perspective, um, I told you I grew up, I was born in Dallas, Texas, so Dallas County. It's 930-something square miles, and Maui is total 727 square miles. So that gives you an idea. It gives people um, listening an idea of how big Maui is. That being said, very diverse terrain. You have these valleys, and then you have these volcanic mountain peaks that just has lush green vegetation on them. And that's why um, that's why I thought the hunt itself was so cool. It was very much like Western big game hunting, where we're we're up in the in the high country, glassing, looking at a lot of animals. We're in, we're what, in the middle of the rut right now. We're just coming into the rut. Yep, just starting. This is the same as back home. And, and Maui reminds me very much of Texas. In that aspect, we have feral hogs. We have axis deer. There are, our uh, axis are starting to rut right now. The difference is, is most of our axis deer, I would say mm, 80% of them, just if I had to guess, are behind high fences. So we don't have the free-ranging population that you guys have here. There's no high fences here. No. The only high fences you're going to see is... Um, to keep deer out. <laughs> to keep deer out. Yeah. Right. That's not how we do it back home. It's like, just keep them in. Yeah. What are the main crops that are grown here? And do the deer have an effect on those? And is this stuff that the deer want to eat? Yeah, especially when there's no feed. Like right now, we're in a drought. But Hawaii is super diversified when it comes to crops. You can pretty much grow anything here. It's year-round, too. It's... Um, yeah, well, yeah the temperature's like what? What's the, the average temperature? 60 to 80 degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, this summer's been kind of hot, probably in like the 86, 87 past few days. Yeah, so you can grow whatever. Yeah, you can grow, a lot of it grows wild too. You'll find it in the rainforest. Um, you get a lot of exotic fruits. Most vegetables are planted here. There was like a heyday for sugarcane, but it's come and gone. Yeah, so sugarcane, I forget when they started, but they actually went out of business in 2015. They took up the whole Central Valley of Maui. Uh, actually takes one ton of water to grow one pound of sugar. It takes two years to grow sugarcane. And they actually used to burn the sugarcane to harvest it. It would caramelize the sugars on the inside, and it actually prevented them from losing their yield having it leak out when they were hauling it back to the, the plantation. Hmm. So why did the sugarcane go away? Um, they actually started back before Hawaii was a state. So they, they could uh, pay immigrants labor wages. And now that Hawaii is a state, it's actually too expensive to pay those wages. Now they uh, moved it out. I'm pretty sure they're growing it in uh, Costa Rica or Nicaragua or something like that. Yeah. They can pay those lower wages to workers. 
Yeah, I've been to the Dominican Republic and they grow quite a bit there. And then that shares an island with Haiti. And Haiti is like extremely poverty stricken. And so they, they grow sugarcane there for obvious reasons of, of cheap labor. Um, seeing those fields are just massive. And I'm sure that's what this, the Central Valley here looked like at one point in time. Why are these deer thriving? Like, and I mean, I think the obvious answer is there's no predators here. Like there's, we have coyotes and mountain lions and, um, in, in their native India, they're preyed upon by Bengal tigers here. Nothing's killing them. Your only predator is man here. And because a lot of the land is landlocked or private, uh, you know, you got your owners that are hunters themselves. So they like to, you know, keep their herd to them or, you got um, owners that don't like hunting at all, so they don't won't let you shoot the deer on their property. And honestly, a lot of deer, access deer especially, are so sneaky, and they'll, you know, spread out to places real quick. I've never seen access deer in rainforest before, and now I see them, and they're like ants, man. They just spread so fast. Yeah, I think uh, it took all of about three minutes once you picked me up from the airport for me to see my first uh, free-ranging axis deer in Hawaii. Uh, we'll talk about that, and if it's changed from the time you were a kid to where it is today as far as are there more or less axis deer, um, and then obviously get into our hunt coming up after the break. That segment brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation, whether it's uh, Hawaii Texas, Africa, Alaska, it doesn't matter. If people are trying to tread on our rights as hunters, SCI is there fighting that battle. Uh, they have our backs. They put their money where their mouth is. I'm a proud member. I'd like to encourage you to uh, become a member as well. And you can do so at safariclub.org. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoors show. Oftentimes we're lazy. It seems to stand in my way Cause no one, no, not, no one likes to be let down Tactical Skeleton Firearms specializes in custom AR-10 firearms. They're best known for their AR-10 308 pistols. Also dual caliber AR-10 rifle systems and dual caliber AR-15 takedown pistols. Tactical Skeleton specializes in custom Cerakoting engraving and they'll custom laser cut the foam insert inside your hard gun case. They'll also take on any exotic caliber build offered on the AR-10 or AR-15 platform. Precision machining and hand-built quality guaranteed by a lifetime warranty? Who does that? Get free shipping on your order when you visit tacticalskeleton.com today. Cable here for Stealth Cam and the DS4K Ultra Trail Camera. Highest quality video on the market, bar none. It's 4K. It's incredible. And they've also got an entire lineup of cell cameras as well. You can find it all right there at StealthCam.com. Cable here for Pulsar. If you're looking for that nighttime optic, whether it's a night vision or, my preference, thermal, mm, man, these things have gotten a lot more affordable over the years. Now, of course, it's still a pretty penny, but the working man can get into a thermal, can certainly get into night vision. It's a game changer, and nobody does it better than Pulsar. So if you're ready to light up the night, head over to Pulsar NV. 
to check out their entire lineup of thermal and night vision optics. Mother, mother ocean, I have heard you call, wanted to sail upon your waters since I was three feet tall, you've seen it all. You've seen it all Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, thanks to Mossberg, our presenting sponsor, as we are still talking Axis Deer Hunting on Maui with my buddy Kamanu Gomes. But before we get back into that discussion, this segment of the show Probably brought to you by Numa Geared for the Outdoors. Check out the new Pathfinder pant if you haven't already. Uh, and, and Numa's got some cool new solid colors available. Uh, I've got the Pathfinder in, I think it's just khaki. Absolutely love it. Um, can wear it to the bar or when I was in Maui, I wore it hunting ice this year. It kept me cool, comfortable. Fits great in the crotch area, which obviously for a dude, very important. Um, it's got like those pants that like rub on the inside of uh, your inner thighs. No, it's that stretchy material in the crotch area. It's awesome. It's the Pathfinder. And uh, by the way, Numa, lifetime warranty on all their apparel. So weird for a hunting company to be giving a lifetime warranty out for their clothing, which they know you're going to put through the ringer, but that's what they do. Uh, and you'll save 20% off your entire order. When you check out with that promo code Lone Star Twenty, well, let's get back on that island time with my good friend Kamanu Gomes. So you are in your mid twenties, twenty four. Yeah. Were the deer was the population this dense when you were a kid when you first started hunting them? Definitely not as bad as it is today. <laughs> There's a lot less back then. Uh, when my parents were growing up. There was, they they told me they'd maybe see an axis deer every once in a great while. Hmm. Like they weren't common at all. And it wasn't until I was around high school where you could noticeably see how bad they started to damage the land and how fast they started to spread. We left, the, you picked me up from the airport. We left the airport and we're driving by this field that's like kind of in the lowlands. I'm like... Dude, there's axis deer out there. You're like, yeah, they're everywhere. <laughs> like, they're like, there's the airport. There's some deer over there. There's a nice buck out there too. He's yeah. like, that's not the dude. Wait till we get to the ranch that we hunt. So you hunt private land, and you recently started outfitting. But you've been, but you've been, you've been guiding friends for a long time. Yeah, I've been guiding friends for a super long time. Um. A lot of outsiders, a lot of locals, you know, it's good practice. Definitely honed my skills in a lot on when it comes to caping and uh, dressing. That's uh, I noticed that there's a lot of hunters out here that, I mean, everybody has their own style, mm -hmm. but a lot of hunters just don't know. They've never had somebody to teach them how to cape an animal or dress an animal or I was fortunate enough to be able to watch some really good sportsmen, and I just kind of picked up on those skills. Mm -hmm. 
And so what is your your business name is Hawaii Hunts? Yep, Hawaii Hunts. And the, that's the website? HawaiiHunts.com. Okay. As far as our hunt, let's talk about that. And why I thought it was, the main thing why I thought it was so amazing was just the sheer number of bucks that I saw. If, like I'm talking about bucks that if I saw back home in Texas and they're 32 inches, they're probably getting shot. And you're just like, no, let's not, let's pass on that one. And and then like you look over here with your binos, you're like, oh, there's the 33 inch over there. You're like, eh, maybe, you know, I think we can do better. You know, just be patient. And I, dude, we probably looked at just on the first morning alone, 15 deer over 30 inches, maybe 10 over 32 inches. Um, and, and some even a lot bigger than that. Yeah, man. Uh, and we only looked on one ridge out of a huge mountain range <laughs> that we had permission on on herd management is key um you know my my family taught me that not shooting small bucks one day will lead to the trophy of a lifetime and you know i just kept that mindset going through and just the way i manage the herds i i like to wait for the most mature best genetic buck to take out and you know, the longer they leave them, the more they pass on that genetic, and uh, it just holds a higher standard of hunter. What a lot of people don't understand is that, you know, when they they want to be an eradicator or manage a herd, they want to go shoot all the bucks, keep the numbers down. You know, I've actually had a guy tell me that the other day, and that's not herd management. Herd management is shooting all the does. And letting all the bucks grow, not just for trophy purposes, but because you know it controls the overgrazing. You get more feed for the animals, and you get more mass. It's and I told you, like the, you mentioned that you thought you maybe had more bucks than does. I was like, whoa, that's great because the the ranches in Texas with the really I think the best deer hunting have a, a buck to doe ratio of like one to one. And that's what people strive for, like management-wise. And it was very clear that you guys are, you know, you're not. If you're not there, you're not far off of that. I mean, we. I think we saw more bucks than we did does. Mm-hmm. Um, the big bucks, though, and it reminds me kind of like Western big game hunting, in that in the fact that during the rut, like, so if you have a whitetail property in Texas, you probably know the majority of the deer that are on there when the season starts you'll get they expand their range looking for love that's true but here like some of these bucks just come out of like the top of the mountains or of the dense dark forest um a lot of deer that you've never seen before yeah you never know what you're gonna see i mean growing up there was only a handful of people that hunted that place I guess that's why the quality of deer is so high is because we'd make a game out of it. When the season started, everybody gets to shoot a buck, and then before you get to shoot your next buck, you have to go and kill three does. And then you can kill your next buck. And that way it just kind of kept the numbers even. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, now there's just so many bucks, you never know what you're going to see. I mean, one day you'll see a three-horned buck in this valley, and the next day he's five ridges over. They move, access their move miles. So it's kind of hard to get on one when you see them. You maybe got two days when you locate a buck to get on them or 
You're gone. Well, you better get back out there to get that big one that you saw, dude. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we were just out just doing some glassing after I had shot my buck, and you were like, we are, and I was getting some cool uh, footage with my, my thermal optic, you know, daytime footage. And this buck comes out of the bottoms. And you're like, you started like almost shaking. And that got me excited. I was like, he was like, I think that's the biggest axis deer I've ever seen. How big do you think that deer was? That buck was huge. That was, that was probably, to be realistic, I'd go 37. Wow. Free range axis. Yeah. And the mass on that deer was just insane. And I've been on a lot of high fence ranches in Texas, and I've, and I've said, I think that's the biggest axis deer I've ever seen, too. Yeah. You could definitely tell. I mean, because we were looking at, at a 33, like, like in we the same looking, valley. And he looked small. He looked yeah. like a spike compared to that thing. So, you know, yeah. every, uh, every couple of years or so, we'll get one like that come out and just start shaking. But that one was. Very impressive. Yeah, he was. One thing that I've noticed on this island, which I keep like, and I've mentioned it to you, is there's just so many damn chickens everywhere. And and going back to the fact that there's really no predators, like in the yard, uh, on the town square, we're eating, um, because we have like sparrows and blackbirds that like come to like restaurants and patios and stuff. And, oh, you just got chickens walking around. Um, so they're all feral. Nobody owns these things. Nobody owns these chickens. And if you think Maui's bad, you should go see Kauai. Kauai is where it is. There's thousands of chickens everywhere. So have you ever been to a cockfight? Yeah, when I was younger, I used to spar chickens with my brother in the backyard and stuff. I've been to a few fights to watch. But that, so cool. that's kind of part of Hawaiian culture. Yeah. I mean, it's highly illegal, but it's part of the culture. And you said the only people that get in trouble are the ones that are in the rings if it gets busted. Yeah, it's crazy. One of my buddies was saying that he was at a fight probably like a month ago, and uh, the cops rolled up, and everybody started scattering, but they didn't do anything to him. They were just interested in catching the guys in the ring. Yeah, and then I played you a great song called Gallo del Cielo about cockfighting. Um, yeah, so it's just crazy. I see all these damn roosters everywhere. So back to our hunt. We finally settle on, and you asked me, you said, what are you looking for? And, and I'm kind of spoiled in the fact that I've, I've shot a handful, I think five or six of these Axis bucks in my life and have, have seen some nice ones. And I just said, I don't know, man. Um, I'm looking for you to tell me that's the one we should shoot because you're the guide and I'm just going to trust you. You know, I told you I think I have like a 32 and a 33 on the wall at home. I said, it doesn't even have to be that big, just whatever. You tell me when, when one gets you excited, and I think we pass on like 15 or so bucks, like I said, and we get we get this guy on the glass, and you, you kind of found him down down in this gulch in, in this valley, and like, oh, I think we need to get a better look at that. So so we crept over there, and you um, said, I think we should shoot this buck. And I said, well, you know the rule. Don't pass something on the first day that you would shoot on the last day. So if you say he's the one we should shoot, then let's do it. And um, kind of shot him from high, a little high, a little bit of elevation, and the bullet dropped him. Ended up hitting him high on one side, but since we had that that angle, bullet went through both lungs, and it actually broke his spine. He died very quickly. Um, and we got up to that thing, and what I liked the most about him, 
a lot of character. He had an extra kicker, um, but coming off of kind of right above his coddle tines, or I guess you call them eye guards. And um, he was just coming out of velvet. So I don't know if people can imagine, you know, what a, what a, a white tail or a mule deer looks like coming out of velvet. And uh, it's still got some of that hardened dried velvet on there. Some of it's coming off. He's just started rubbing it off. Uh, so it's going to make a really cool mount. Yeah, I'm glad you liked it. I, uh, you know, when I glassed him up, I knew he was big. I could see the mass on his horns. I just wasn't quite sure if he was tall enough just from the angle we were at. And when we walked up to him, I kind of started second guessing myself there. You could see it in my face. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I thought he was a little short. I thought he was going to measure like 31 or something. But when I put the tape on him, it turned out to measure what was it 33 and three quarters mm -hmm. and, you know when we brought it home and set it up and every time i looked at it man it just got bigger and bigger and you know as time went on i just got more impressed with it and i hope you like it because oh yeah dude. it's a dandy of a buck for sure and well you know i'm i am not gonna say i'm not gonna lie and say i'm not a trophy hunter because i am but part of that to me is the meat is the trophy um, but I, I like a good rack and why do I like it? Because it's impressive. And let's be honest, guys like big bucks, big bass, big boobs. I mean, that's, it's kind of just wired into our DNA. 100%. And, but from a conservation standpoint, it's more complex than that. If, if you take a big rack deer, most of the time he got big because he's old. And and that's what that's what the true trophy is to 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 match wits with a mature animal, to to put them on the ground, to take the meat, take the rack, have that experience, and, and the experience was every. I told you I was like this is better than I ever thought it could have been, and the diverse you know topography and terrain and um, it was just so it was stunning, a lot different than sitting at a deer feeder in Texas and waiting for one to walk out of the cedars. You know, we're blessed, man. We definitely have which i'm not knocking that that's cool too but it was different years <laughs> <laughs> hey we got feeders too if, you know that's your style but uh -huh. we're lucky in the fact that we have pretty much the terrain to i guess give every hunter every hunting style um, what they're looking for you know we got our thick forest for that epic bow hunting stock we got our tree stands for that early morning sit and we got our high mountain long ranges you know it's pretty cool so when people show up i think that's what they like the most is that they can basically build their dream hunt and it's not it's not fake like you're mm -hmm. actually hunting free range axis deer and you know it's up to you to make it happen you never know what you're gonna see none of these deer are baited they can come and go as they please and yeah, I just love it. One of the things that I had never experienced in Texas was just the sheer amount of vocalizations that these deer are fi they're firing off all around you, 360 degrees. You can hear bucks. We call them roaring, but it's more like a high-pitched whine uh, that axis deer make during the rut. And then does barking, uh, some of them barking at us because there's so many deer. Like, yeah, you they're busted you're getting busted <laughs> there's so many deer everywhere um but it was just non-stop and some some um 
of the vocalizations I, I had never heard before. It's crazy. It wasn't wasn't until I started bow hunting that I realized, you know, they actually have a lot more to their language than just the roar and the doe bark when you get busted. <laughs> but, um, you know, you got you, fawns have so many different vocals. Does have a lot of different vocals from alarming to squeaking and even the bucks. The bucks do a few more little no- noises than just mm-hmm. the roar. And- oh, shoot. The one that we were filming through the spotting scope somehow busted us and he barked at us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one, bucks bark, the roar, that's pretty common, but they actually have like a little squeak that they do too here. It's it's kind of interesting. And, you know, maybe if I ever max out on uh, that trophy axis steer, get more into, you know, st- studying axis deer and i don't know maybe making some new calls to mm-hmm. put out there but yeah it's pretty cool you told me you can rattle these things up too yeah you can and they come in quick uh, right now is the time to do it too late may early june i've never tried it for for axis. i mean obviously we do it for whitetail in texas and it, it i mean it works last year i rattled my kids got to see me rattle up a bunch of deer, not that I want to shoot, but um, it's, it's certainly effective. I just didn't, I didn't, it makes sense. Like, why would they not come to that? You know, they're, they're wired just like a white-tailed deer. Yeah. The first time I tested the theory, I was in middle school and um, I knew this buck was hanging out behind my house um, and my, I took my brother and my little cousin with me and they didn't believe I could do it. I'm like, no, let's go test it. So we go down there and I start rattling just an old rack that I had, just clanking mm-hmm. them together, and they're making noise. Uh, they're kind of over it, want to go home, and it it happened so fast, man. It was probably like forty five seconds, and that buck came on a dead sprint <laughs> from probably like four five hundred yards away, and we watched them run straight to us. Came all the way into about twenty yards. Really. And we're sitting there, and we didn't have a gun or bow or nothing, and we're just like, wow, we're trying to videotape <laughs> oh, cool. it. And, uh, after that, um, we started rattling them in in the mornings, and yeah, it's super cool. They come in hot. They start screaming, and super exciting. Mm-hmm. We'll, have to, we'll have to try that next time. I think I'll bring my bow next time I come. Um, you've, you've talked about, and I asked you, like, tell me how the bow hunting if you want to do spot and stock bow hunting, describe what that hunt looks like for you. Because you've killed a handful of these things with your bow. So, and, and you're shooting mature bucks too. Like, again, 32, 33-inch deer. It's actually my favorite way to hunt axis deer. The adrenaline rush is insane, um, especially during the rut. Because you got two massive bucks fighting right in front of you, like 18 yards away. And, you know, my style of bow hunting is stock, and I like to go in the thick trees. And the secret to it is actually, you know, you need a you need to see them before they see you. Mm-hmm. And the way you do that is, you need to move super slow, and you're just constantly glassing. Like every ten feet, you need to stop and look through your binos. Stop and look through your binos, and you know, at first it gets a little annoying, but once you pick up your binos and you see those white dots in the trees it's game on man and 
you know, you can, our place, there's a lot of uh, riverbeds and stuff. The terrain is real uneven. So, you know, it's pretty cool. You can actually jump in a ditch and sneak around them or you can come up on top of them and you just never know where they're going to be. And it gets super exciting and it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, Maui is is different from Texas in the fact that, or, or different from what I know. It's probably more, it's probably the way that the rest of the world works. Like, but my understanding is that you can sell your kill or your catch here, whether you're a hunter or an angler, you can take it to market and sell it. You actually can't sell it on market. Um, it's kind of a big problem we have here is the state wants us to eradicate all these deer, uh-huh. you know, and a lot of the Hawaiian people don't want to waste all that meat. So they should let us be able to at least. So there's a, there's a black market for it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. There's a black market for it. A lot of people are willing to pay somebody sitting on the side of the road with a cooler selling smoked meat and jerky um, than see it go to waste. Mm-hmm. What, what about fish? There's a huge market for fish. Which is legal. Yeah, 100%. That's, I mean, Hawaii is the best sushi yeah. in America. That's me. <laughs> and you've been to the mainland. People don't know you You went to school in Arizona. so And you've spent quite a bit of time uh, on a massive ranch in California chasing pigs and stuff like that too. Mm-hmm. And I know you like coyote hunting. I love coyote hunting. <laughs> it's probably my second passion after axis deer hunting. Uh-huh. I started off with uh, electric game calls, and then I got into all hand calls mm. and taught my little cousin how to do it. And now every time I go up there, me and him just have a full-blown hunting competition and who can call in the most dogs. Mm-hmm. So when we went fishing, though, with Alec, um, your buddy took us out ocean kayak fishing. We'll talk more about that, I'm sure. But he told me that when COVID hit and his his job kind of went on hiatus. He was fishing every day and he was making a good living selling fish to the market. Well, not only was he making money selling fish to the market, but he was making unemployment on top of that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure. This man was sitting out on his kayak every day, drinking beer, pulling in my mice. (laughs) He was was living the life, man. Like bonus. A lot of people here was living like that. It was, it was definitely a, you know, a scary time, but people took advantage of all that downtime and made the best out of it. Mm-hmm. What about gun laws here? Um, just for people that are listening, they're like, hey, this sounds like an adventure I'd like to put on my, my short list, my bucket list. Um, and I've traveled to quite a few countries with firearms. And I had heard like, oh, Hawaii's, they're going to, it's going to be a pain in the ass to travel with a gun there. Dude, I got off the plane. I got my checked bag. In a lot of places, you have to go to like a special counter and claim your firearm. It was just sitting over to the side. Like no one was like watching it. No, no. I was like, huh. Anybody just walk over. Anybody could just come take my gun. But yeah, it was like, no, they didn't. Nobody cared. So it was, for me, my experience was like, this was probably the easiest trip I've ever had with a firearm. Yeah, going through the airports is extremely easy when you're coming to hunt in Maui. You, uh, I'd say the gun laws are pretty strict here. Yeah. You when, can't roll around with an AR loaded hot like we do in Texas when you're... Definitely not. Yeah. I don't know. You can't even have your bullets out. Like, your bullets need to be in a case. 
Yeah, because every time we went hunting, we had to put the guns in the case. Yeah, guns mm-hmm. in the case. And you, like, if if I was to go from the hunting spot to the store to my house, technically that's illegal. You can get in trouble for that. You can only go to and from the hunting spot and back to mm-hmm. the location of where the guns are held. Mm-hmm. Be the proper way to do it. We won't say whether or not we went and got a bite to eat with the guns or not. <laughs> uh, but you can't bring suppressor, though, because I was going to bring my 7 mag, and I luckily I asked you like two days before I came. I was like, suppressors are cool there? And you're like, no. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> super illegal. I wish they weren't. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's such a valuable tool, just hearing protection, teaching young kids how to shoot. You know, my son went up from a 22250 to a 243 last year and then shot my 65 Creedmoor suppressed and was like yeah I like that you know I can shoot I'll shoot the 65 then I let him shoot the 7 mag suppressed and he shot it once he was like nope that's a little too much for me dad it would be a great tool to have honestly um when I started hunting you know I, like I said it was guns blazing but mm-hmm. I uh I never did wear earplugs and nobody ever told me to wear earplugs it wasn't until i started hunting with my uncle the sportsman who actually told me like yo you need to put your earplugs in or you're gonna be deaf by the time you're older and you know i got better at it and now if i don't have my earplugs i won't even shoot Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, i'm kind of in that same boat as far as and I can tell my hearing is not as good as it was for sure um, but these days especially at the gun range I mean like we would shoot ARs and not have ear protection on when I was late teens early 20s real stupid thing to do but young and dumb and I think I think now though society is getting better as far as teaching the hunting community and shooting community like you got you got you need to wear ear protection. Certainly, my son doesn't is not going to make the same mistake that I did. Oh yeah, it's a it's definitely a game changer. Uh, All right, well, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and uh, talk a little fishing and hog dogging as well. Sounds good. Uh, that segment brought to you by Mossberg Firearms and the Patriot Rifle lineup. You want to talk about a high performing, hardworking firearm that's not going to break the bank? Check out. The Patriot. Everything from a 22-250 up to a dangerous game caliber like a 375 Ruger. They've got it all. And uh, you're going to love this rifle. I've got a safe full of them in a myriad of calibers. It's the Patriot, and you can find it at Mossberg.com. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoors show. Gaia del Cielo was a warrior born in heaven, so the legends say. His wings, they had been broken. He had one eye rolling crazy in his head. He'd fought a hundred fights. And the legends say that one night near El Suego, they fought Cielo seven times. Seven times he left brave roosters dead. I'm Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. 
Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Let's face it, guys. We all would love to own land, right? But they're not making any more of it. However, there's a solution. Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers finance their own piece of paradise for over 100 years. Whether you want it for recreating, ranching, fishing, hunting, or just to get the hell out of Dodge for the weekend, visit Lone Star Ag Credit today to start making that dream a reality. And if I ain't sleeping well, I better be fishing. If I ain't anchored, I will be drifting. But all in all, I'm doing pretty good. I hit my third coast. Well, Larry Joe Taylor bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you. Thank you for dropping by today as we are still talking uh, the amazing sportsman's oasis that is Maui, Hawaii. And we'll get back into that conversation with my friend Kamanu Gomes momentarily. This segment, though, brought to you by All Seasons Feeders. Those bucks are about to start showing a little bone, which gets me excited. And if you're looking to figure out what's going to be on your property this year, there's no better way than to set up a 600-pound stand and fill. Gone are the days of having to have a ladder or stand in the bed of your truck to fill up the feeder. Uh Uh-uh. No, it's called the stand and fill for a reason. And you can find their entire lineup of feeders right there at All Seasons Feeders. Dot com. With that being said, let's talk a little fishing as uh, ocean kayak fishing, not something that I have had much uh, experience with, actually never done it until this past week. So let's pick it up there with my friend and Maui native Kamanu Gomes. Once we got the access to your down, we had a couple days to play around here. You're like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, dude, I'd, I'd like to go fishing if there's any way we can make that happen. And you said, well, are you opposed to going in a kayak in the ocean? And I was like, no, I haven't done that before, but I, some of my friends do it, and it looks like fun, and I would love to do it. And But you did scare the crap out of me because you're like, do you get seasick? And I was like, eh, if I go offshore, I don't, I've never thrown up, but I you know, I start to feel, feel it a little bit. Um, not enough to make me not go, but then you were telling me like the first time you went kayak fishing and – caught a you, what did you catch a tuna yeah ahi is the other name too or shibi anything under 100 pound is a shibi uh-huh for a tuna. and you're catching tuna as you're puking <laughs> yeah man so you know i'll be dead honest i get seasick i get bad seasick and if it's a flat day it won't bother me if it's a little choppy it won't bother me but we were on the north shore and for all you Texans, man, don't judge it till you try it. But there's 10-foot rollers coming in, and it hits you hard. And we were coming out, and I took the strike right in front of the harbor. It was a pretty cool experience because I'm fighting this ahi tuna, and my uh, I got my buddy filming right behind me, and the seasick just hits me hard, and as I'm fighting this thing, you can hear the reel just ripping, and I'm over there just, and 
<laughs> on top of that, it's right in the mouth of the harbor, and we got this huge barge coming straight at us. So we're trying to pull this fish in real quick, and they're blowing the horn at us, and I'm puking. It was, it was crazy, man. And ended up getting the fish. It was super lucky because most people go like six months without catching their first pelagic fish. I caught it on the first day, and after that, I was hooked, man. I, I kept fishing for the next four hours, and. I was puking the whole time. Like <laughs> Seasick be damned, I'm going. Every 10 minutes I was throwing up. And I ended up reeling in two sharks. Finally called it quits. I actually almost sunk my kayak that trip. Nobody told me there was a drain plug in the back. and It was the first time I'd ever been on a kayak. And Halfway back in the shore, the tip of my boat starts lifting up in the air. And, you know, I radio my, my cousin. I'm like, hey. What's going on with my boat? Can you see it? He's like, oh, you're taking on water. Did you hit something? I was like, no. He goes, I bet you didn't put your drain plug in. I was like, there's a drain plug. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, so you called your buddy Alec, and uh, he was free and and decided to take us out. He had a two-man. So you went in, a one-man, and Alec and I went out. He he does a lot of fishing. I got a lot. And so we tried to get on... Uh, a pelagic fish, but the damn problem was you have to catch bait. Which, when I told Alec in Texas we have bait shops that sell live bait, he was like, "You gotta be kidding me! That's a thing." I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "You can buy fish that are alive and go fish with them." I was like, "Yeah, absolutely, all up, all up and down the coast." <laughs> but we spent like two hours trying to find bait balls, and there's this. What's the name of the fish that that basically all the uh, pelagic fish want to eat? Opelus. Opelus. Yeah. So, and it's like a, um, a, uh, I'm not sure what the English name for it is. Oh, he told me what it was. It's a mackerel. Yeah. A mackerel. So, what's a good size Opelu? Yeah, you're looking, they say the bigger the better. Well, sure. But anywhere from six to 10 inches is good. Mm -hmm. 10 inches is huge. You won't, I mean, it's hard to find them that big. So finding the bait was problematic, and you know that it's kind of a hit or miss thing. But we we do have fish finders. We're out in you know a hundred feet of water to one hundred and fifty feet of water, trying to find these things. And Alec told me he's like, "Well, we do have a saying: if there's if no bait by eight, we kind of just call it quits because you got to have the bait to to catch the big fish." And one of his buddies was nice enough and gave us uh, two. He did catch a couple, and he gave us two of them, and um, we ended up hooking a. Decent-sized barracuda, so that was a good fight. I, I certainly enjoyed that. And then we caught a – what was the fish that we're going to eat tonight? It's in the jack family. Yellow spot. Yellow spot. Yellow spot papillo, they call it. Mm-hmm. And then you you paddled up and you had some science experiment-looking thing on the end of your line. I don't even know what kind of fish that was. It's called a trumpet fish. Hideous. <laughs> yeah, Maybe hideously beautiful. Very unique, but – Weird looking thing. They're trash. They're trash fish. Uh-huh. Just throw them back. I, t- I actually took a huge strike when you guys were on, way on the outside there. Uh, ended up losing it. Mm-hmm. It's probably a uku or something. I was using a. I didn't catch any opelu, so I had to use the moana, the backup bait, the moana. Yeah, the goat. I caught, I caught a couple moanas. The goat fish. Uh huh. Yeah, and we had a hit on one of them. Yours got cut in half. Mm-hmm. By something, um, 
But yeah, still, that was the first time I had been ever been in the ocean kayak fishing, and and certainly going for for big fish like that. It was. Uh, I, I look forward to the next time. Get into a mahi mahi or a wahoo, or you'll have a lot of the same fish we have in the in the Gulf of Mexico. Honestly, I've had people tell me that the Gulf of Mexico is actually better fishing than Hawaii. Yeah, I don't believe them. <laughs> <laughs> they must have some amazing fishing. <laughs> we do have great fishing. But I will tell you this, the water, not as pretty. It's like, especially closer to the beach. I'm looking down. I said, Alec, how, what depth are we at right now? He's like 30 feet. And I was like, oh, cool. I can see the bottom. And I was like, I told him, I was like, when we're in Galveston and we're standing in four feet of water, you can't see your feet. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't like it is here. Out of all those amazing fish, what's your favorite one to eat? A cooked fish. My, my, would be my favorite. Raw would be. The shibi or the tuna. The ahi. Yeah. Well, yeah, and everything. I mean, we've already eaten ahi poke, as us Texans call it, a couple oh. times. <laughs> but that's not the right pronunciation. That's the first time I ever heard that one. Usually, uh, most terse, it's always pokey. Pokey? Yeah. But the, the right pronunciation would be poke. Poke. Ahi poke. We had three different types of ahi poke. For lunch today and also a taco which is octopus poke mm. i think the octopus is my favorite that's good stuff uh, they actually have a lot more flavors than that every every local shop likes to put their own unique twist on the on the poke and mm-hmm. you know pull in more customers here and there and they all say the quality of fish is better in certain places that i mean it all tastes the same to me just the seasoning would be different on each one is diving for octopus something that you've done a lot of yeah so before we got into kayak fishing uh we actually fished from shore for giant trevally or ulu as they call it here uh you actually have to go dive your own bait so we go out and we look for taco or octopus and they're kind of hard to find honestly you got to have the taco eye, as they call it, and mm. you basically just learn that over time by going with some more experienced guys. Do most of the hunters, the, the, the mainlanders that come here, do they come here to hunt, like people that are, gonna be, that are booking hunts with you, or are they just adding a hunt to like a family vacation? Most of them just add a hunt to a family vacation. Uh-huh. Um, I haven't had any diehard trophy hunters show up yet. Other than me? Other than you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, so, and this guy on Instagram um, already was asking about it. And I was like, oh, shoot, I think you could get it done in a day if you really were serious about, you know, putting in a little effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was like, cool. Uh, he's already reached out to you. And he, I think he's going to come hunt with you maybe next week uh, on, the, on his family vacation. He's going to bring his son. Yeah, I hope hope he shows up. Um, He'll definitely have a good time. and We can definitely make it happen in one day. uh, Especially this time of year. It's just all up to the client on what kind of deer they want to shoot. So so take that guy, for instance, who is on family vacation. He doesn't want to come here with a rifle, probably. So you can accommodate. You have nice guns and stuff uh, for him to use. Yeah, we got a lot of high-end guns. Um, Got small guns for kids and... 
Uh, we're more than willing to let you guys borrow them if you need. What is your favorite way to, to prepare venison? What's like a traditional Hawaiian venison recipe? A lot of Hawaiians smoke their meat, mm-hmm. soak it in like teriyaki sauce and smoke it. Um, I like to make a, a lot of jerky, back straps, throw them on the grill. Yeah, and we're actually about to go do that. Uh, I think with maybe some pineapple and teriyaki sauce, cook those back straps up. But first, we need to work in our last commercial break. We'll come back and talk about something that to me seems very Texan. It's as much Hawaiian, though, uh, as part of your hunting culture, and that is hog dogging. You guys use some very interesting breeds. Well, interesting to me, normal to you, uh, but ones that we don't typically use for, for hog dogging in Texas. Uh, So we'll talk about our hog dogging experience and how you guys do it in Hawaii after the break. That segment brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy with locations in Marion and San Antonio, Texas. Josh and Becky Gunther have been taking care of all my trophy mounts for a decade. I spent a long, long time. I'll tell you that. Uh, They do amazing work with quick turnaround time and they answer the phone when I call. For your next trophy, head over to GR, the number eight mounts.com. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Because the weather is nice and the water's bright. Man, I could fish here all damn night. When you had a bad day and your mind is in a haze, you can clear your head in the salt water bay. All right, guys. As we age, stuff starts to hurt. Our joints are inflamed. Nothing seems to work like it used to. That's where cryotherapy comes in. I've been going to cryo and more in McKinney for over a year. It's the fastest way to reduce inflammation and get to the root cause of all that pain. Uh, I feel amazing when I get out of the cryo chamber. And they've got some cool Father's Day uh, specials coming up. 100 bucks for cryo skin facials. That's uh, $57 savings. And... Only $30 for a full whole body cryotherapy session. That's my favorite, and that's $10 savings. Call 214-892-5334 to schedule your appointment today or head over to cryoinmore.com. Hey, guys. Cable here, and last year was a wild year for censorship. It's only continuing in 2022 uh, for us hunters and anglers. So I've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship go wild was built by outdoorsmen and women by hunters and anglers just like you it's a free social community not only are your photos not censored they're encouraged imagine that go wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies gear reviews and inviting friends as you earn points you unlock awesome rewards too such as gift cards free swag knives huge discounts on brands like garmin and vortex and so many more oh and if you create a free account, you get 10 bucks to the store just for trying it out. Visit DownloadGoWild.com to get started. And I'll see you over there. He said he ain't no hound. He's a black mouth cur. He'll do what you got in mind. He gonna tree any coon or catch any hog, pin any steer in sight. He'll watch over your youngins and defend them until he breathes his last breath. Blackmouth Cur, the name of that one from our good friend Justin Bowerman, bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Appropriate, too, because we're about to talk a little hog-dogging uh, with our buddy Kamanu Gomes. But 
first, this segment of the show brought to you by Vortex Optics and the brand spanking new Crossfire HD 1400 Laser Rangefinder. That's a true 1400-yard detection range. I think in uh, for like an animal, you're in at like seven or 800 yards. So at a price point of under 270 bucks, yeah, it's a bad to the bone little unit, lightweight, perfect for the backcountry, whether you're bow or rifle hunting. Um, check it out. It's the Crossfire HD 1400. You can find it at vortexoptics.com. And with that being said, let's talk some hog dogging. Kamanu, I don't think that you guys even use the word hogs. Y'all, y'all call them pigs or boars. Uh, but other than that subtle difference, hog dogging is as much Hawaiian tradition as it is Texan. Pig hunting is huge because it's there's a lot of pigs on public land here. Mm-hmm. So it, that's the majority of the hunters on the island are pig hunters. You guys also have mongoose. Do have mongoose? Which is an African animal. Why, why were they brought here? They brought mongoose here to bring down the rat population. But what they didn't think about is that rats are nocturnal and mongoose is hunting the day. <laughs> kind of backfired in their face on that one. I, I actually saw one yesterday uh, when we were just driving around. I was like, there's a mongoose over there. You're like, yeah, they're, they've been here a while. Yeah, they're everywhere, man. Mm. Um, there's this mongoose at my house. I throw food for him. He's got to be a world record, man. He's huge. <laughs> he's, like, <laughs> he's like the size of a weasel or something. He's massive. So as far as the hog dogs go, what breeds are the, are like the most sought after here? You got... We have Catahoulas, Curs, and um, I'd say those are the, the main two. Catahoulas, Curs, Plot Hounds, some mixes of those kinds of dogs. I mean, is that pretty standard here? Yeah, you got your your Plot Hounds, your Catahoulas, Pointer Bulls. Um, pointer Bulls, what is that? They actually mix Pointers, GSPs, English Pointers with um, your American bull or your regular bull. Pit bull? Yeah, mm. pit bull, blue nose, red nose. Mm. It gives the dog strong nose and a little more bite. Okay. Well, let's talk about copper because I saw this dog in your kennel. Like, oh, there's an English pointer. Beautiful white coat, brown spots strong young looking male dog and i'm like so this is your bird dog and you're like no <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be my next tracker man um, when i first got him he's actually the first pointer that i put on to pigs a lot of guys put pointers on the pigs but i figured i'd give it a try and at first it wasn't working out but I think it's just the hound in him takes, you got to age him a little bit. And I, I left him home a lot and finally just started taking him out and he turned on, man. He's wicked. Yeah, he found the pig forest yesterday. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Well, and you said that you and your brother, who's obsessed with hog dogging, um, you said that you guys have figured out over the years that it takes the males just a little bit longer to, to develop and, and like get it. Yeah. My brother's a big pig hunter. He's caught hundreds of pigs and you know from russians in california to hawaiian furrows and 
he likes his male dogs. They're more aggressive. Um, like you said, they take a little age, longer to age. The female dogs, they're just as good. They, uh, they're just not as aggressive off the start, mm-hmm. I would say. But they're, they're definitely a more loyal dog. So what are the, the dogs that you have in your string right now? What are, obviously, you have Copper, who is a, a English pointer. What are the other two, the females? that I think their names were Sassy and Queenie. So Sassy is actually a border collie bull. Mm. She's more of a sight dog. She'll run all day long. Doesn't get tired. Doesn't burn out. I actually have Queenie is a Lindsay bull mix. She's pretty wicked. She's the union dog, as you say. Yeah. So when, when, when the other two dogs are hunting, I look around and this dog is standing by us. I'm like, oh. Uh, the mount, the guy that I hunted, the houndsman in Mount, in uh, Cal, uh, Colorado that I hunted mountain lions with, he had those dogs and he called them. Yeah, these do- these are the union dogs. They only join the party once the other ones do all the hard work. And when the cat's at the tree, they show up. Just there for the benefits. Uh huh. And um, I have a, I got a new puppy. So I actually have Copper is my hound, mm-hmm. the pointer, and then I got a new puppy. He's red. He's a Lindsay Ridgeback. Mm-hmm. And I call him Todd, just like Copper and Todd Fox and Al. Right. So they get along pretty good. I'm hoping they they hunt together when Todd's a little older, and I think they'll be a good team. But you guys don't really use catch dogs here, like like in the traditional sense of when I think about it. What what we do back home, the bay dogs will you know strike the trail, or you call them trackers here. They'll bay the pig up, and then. Everyone runs to the pig, and that's when you cut the pit bull, Argentine, uh, Argentinian dogo, American bulldog, whatever. Some kind of massive dog with huge jowls to hold on to a pig, a boar's face, so that you don't get cut up. Y'all don't really use those dogs. So how do you get in there and without a catch dog and, and get these pigs either shackled or you castrate a lot of them and let them go? Um, how does that play out without a catch dog? Well, I would say there's two different styles of hunting in Hawaii. In the jungle, um, you want catch dogs, but a lot of guys will mix them into their hounds. Mm. So, like, they'll do 50-50 hound catch. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are guys here that lead their bulls on leashes, but I've never seen it. Most guys just let their dogs run around. I grew up hunting on the ranches, so, you know, all we need is that one or two trackers and um, eventually most of them are we used to hunt with cow dogs up in california and they used to just spin pigs they'd bite them up just like a cow and spin them around in circles and we used to roll up on the four wheelers tie off to the bike rope them or just ride up there grab the tail and when you're on foot we'll usually just let the dogs bay them up and then same thing we'll just rope them with a mm. cowboy rope and when you rope a pig on the head, they like to backpedal, and then somebody else can come up from behind and grab them. It's a good time, man. Well, we had a blast, and the dogs caught caught our little boar uh, within like 30 minutes. And it was a lot different vegetation than anything I've ever done hog-dogging in. So it was awesome. The dogs did great. I know you were proud of them. And that was just uh, one other thing to check off the old bucket list while I was here and just uh, really seeking adventure from 
axis deer hunting to kayak ocean kayak fishing to hog dogging really got a taste of of what maui has to to offer the sportsman yeah it's pretty cool um thank you for coming out here it's definitely a good time having you and you know when i told you to come out i didn't think you were good <laughs> no i appreciate the invite and uh, like i said my wife's a little jealous. She's been seeing all the, the gorgeous scenery that, that we've been, that you, you see every day. But for me, it, it's all it's all something just to soak in. It's brand new. And I told you, like, I asked her, I was like, do you want to go access deer hunting for four days? And she was like, no. And I was like, okay, then I'm buying a ticket to Maui. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> Left out the fine details on that one. <laughs> I gave her a chance, but she didn't want to go access deer hunting. So. In reality... Having never been here, now I'm, I'm, you know, we could go hunting again, and I could turn her loose, and she could do her own thing. But I don't want to bring her on vacation. If what if it took us four days to get the deer? You know, it's just like no, it's a work trip. So you said you didn't want to go hunting. Too late. <laughs> yeah, it was your first time, and it was your first time, and you know, you I had didn't to scope know, it out for. Her. You didn't know what to expect. <laughs> yeah. I, have, I never met you before. You know, it could have been some weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, give us your website again. So it's www.hawaiihunts.com. Awesome. Well, come on, man. Um, it's been great hanging out with you. I certainly appreciate the hospitality. Reminds me very much of, of where I come from, and uh, I look forward to our next adventure. Me too, man. Thanks for coming out. So there you have it, the Aloha episode of the Lone Star Outdoor Show with our good friend, my new friend. And like I said earlier, it's just one of the coolest things about this way of life as a, a, an outdoorsman or woman. You go to any corner of the globe and become fast friends with someone who shares that passion and, and that energy. Um, it's one of my favorite things about this community, this global community of hunters and anglers. Uh, that segment brought to you by Big and J Whitetail Attractants. I'm not saying that Big and J would work on Maui for Axis Deer, but I'm pretty sure it would uh, because it works like a champ where I hunt in, in Texas and Oklahoma especially. But Big and J has specifically scented flavors to match your mm -hmm. geographic region. Uh, so they got something for everybody. And you can find their entire lineup of attractants at bigandj.com. Unfortunately, we got to go. Got to get out of here flat out of time. Uh, thanks to Kamanu for the Hawaiian hospitality hosting me on an epic adventure. Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. We wouldn't be here without their support. Thanks to you guys and gals for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying... Y'all have a great week in the outdoors.